Pastor Xavier Reese and the danger of the God-fearing becoming ever more God-less. People don't believe in the supernatural. Oh, it's not. It's just, you know, fun. It's just innocent stuff. And then meddle with it. Or like the frog in the kettle. The increase of celebration of all these occultic things is in the movies and TV and magazines, Harry Potter and everything else. The acceptance of our society is growing more and more as we grow more godless. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With the enemy Philistine army within view, Saul was afraid and desperate to hear God's direction again. So his solution was to violate his own law and the law of God and seek a medium to summon the spirit of the great prophet Samuel. And as you might expect from a conversation with the dead, the news was far from good. It was horrifically bad. And in today's study from our series in the book of 1 Samuel, Pastor Xavier concludes the story of Saul's seance with the witch of Endor while issuing a caution for all who seek guidance in all the wrong places. Let's listen. The message is entitled, Saul and the Witch of Endor. Saul is having no guidance from God, and he's ready to go into battle with the Philistines, and therefore he seeks out guidance through the occult. The prospect of going to battle without God is given to us. The two armies are facing off, going to warfare in verse 4. The Philistines gathered together. They're at Shunem, a city. And the ex-king, Saul here, gathered all of Israel together and encamped at Gilboa. Now, notice in verse 5, the effect on Saul at the sight of the army of the Philistines caused him to cower. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, the, the word there means to, that he feared, he, he inspected he saw, he inspected, and considered. And as he did so, he became afraid. His heart trembled greatly, it says. And it describes the mental anxiety, and it means to stand in awe, to be dreadful, paranoid. At that time, Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. Saul had been self-willed. He had been proudful, intruded into the priesthood, as you know. He had been disobedient to not kill all the Amalekites. Saul had been rejected by God. He asked, but no one answered. Okay? God had rejected him. Notice, secondly, we have the desperate heart of Saul. Sought a medium about the battle, verse 7 through 14. Saul, in his desperate situation, crossed the line with God. Yeah, he asked his servant, find me a woman who is a medium that I may inquire of her. He knows better. Mediums are not channels to God or of God, but of Satan. Mediums only know the past again and the present, not the future. I can't say that enough. Keep that always in the forefront of your mind. His servant said, in fact, there's a woman who is a medium in Endor. They went deceptively and under the cover of night, he disguised himself, put other clothes, and he and the two men went, and they came to the woman by night. No coincidence. The deceiver goes to one who deceives. He disguised himself to deceive, but this woman was a professional deceiver. Notice the man Saul made his request in verse 8 there to call a familiar spirit, and he said, please conduct a seance for me. The word seance means invoking spirits of the dead, necromancy. He says, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Now notice in 9, the precautions concern 
the woman. She's a little hesitant. She's cautious here. She mentions Saul's expulsion of mediums. Then the woman said to him, look, you know that what Saul has done, he's cut off all the mediums and spirits in the land. And she questions their attempt to endanger her. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Now, the pretentious oath to guarantee the safety of the woman's life is given by Saul, which is just blasphemous. Listen, look at verse 10. Saul was misrepresenting the Lord Yahweh, taking his name in vain in an oath. And Saul swore to her by the Lord Yahweh. Well, God's not with him. He's not serving him. He doesn't even know him. There is great penalty for this. Saul was participating in what God prohibited and protecting a person that practiced what God hated. Are you getting this? Saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come to upon you for this thing that God hates. And you're saying, she's okay, she's cool. In 11, the beginning of the seance is given. The necromancer asked the person to be brought up for the underworld. She said, whom shall I bring up? Saul responded, bring up Samuel for me. The surprise during the seance is important. Don't miss it. Look at 12. The necromancer was shocked seeing Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. She was used to familiar spirits, demons that impersonate dead people. This was the real person who had died because that's why the beginning of the chapter says and, and Samuel died and they buried him. There's no coincidence that verse is there. But all of a sudden, God allowed through his sovereignty for Samuel to literally come up and she freaked out. Notice in 12 still, the necromancer feared, knowing her solicitor was Saul now. The woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. How did she know that? Because when she saw Samuel, she associated him with, 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 with Saul. Look at 13 and 14, the continuation of the seance. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. He can't freak out. Oh, no, it's okay. Don't freak out. And the necromancer was asked by Saul, what did you see? And the woman said, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. This is the place of departed spirit, Sheol of the Old Testament. And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle, the dress of Samuel the prophet. Saul perceived it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. The position he takes to the ground was to the wrong person. He shouldn't have bowed to Samuel. He needed to bow to God. There's the problem with men. Men bow to men rather than to God. And at this time, it's too late. You understand? There has been a great rise in the occult in the United States, as you know. Let me give you again the definition of the occult. A-O-C-C-U-L-T. This deals with demons. Josh McDowell and Don Stewart back in the 80s had a book of the occult, and they stated two mistakes that people make about the occult. People don't believe in the supernatural. Oh, it's not. It's just, you know, fun. It's just innocent stuff. And then those who believe and then meddle with it. On the other hand, there are two mistakes people make about God. That is, they say they do believe, but they don't meddle with it. Several reasons for the growth and interest of the occult. First, we're in the last days. 
They began with Jesus. We're in the last of the last. Secondly, the failure of churches to teach the word of God. The major fall falls on preachers and teachers. They don't teach God's people God's word. We're like the frog in the kettle. The increase of celebration of all these occultic things is in the movies and TV and magazines, Harry Potter and everything else. The acceptance of our society is growing more and more and as we grow more godless. No one person or group of people have the ability to foretell the future. Only God does. And we're to inquire of God and his word nowhere else. Now, some of you may remember Gene Dixon. Some of you are younger, you don't. Gene Dixon was a big prophetess, so-called, in the uh, 80s and that. In her 40s, she met a gypsy man that told her that she had the uh, making for a psychic and gave her a crystal ball. She published two books and believed herself to be endowed with the prophetic gift from God, she said. She claimed she had seen as far as the year 2037 and said that she had the same spirit of John the Baptist and Isaiah. I don't think so, lady. She used not only crystal balls, but tarot cards and everything else. And she advised presidents and politicians and everything else. Now, a prophet of God, as you know, had to be 100% correct, or he would be stoned to death. Jean Dixon, though she had some things that came true in generalities, the majority of the time she failed. Let me give you some of the things that she predicted and they never happened. She said World War III would begin in 1954. Red China would be admitted to the United Nations in 1958, yet it did not occur until 1971. She said Vietnam would be over in 1966. It wasn't until 1975. On October 19, 1968, she predicted Jacqueline Kennedy would not think of remarriage. The next day, she married Aristotle Onassis. In 1970, she predicted the following event would occur. But it did not. Castro would be overthrown from Cuba and would have to leave the island. And in 1971, she said Russia would be the first nation to put a man on the moon, which did not. And yet people will swear about people like her. The desperate heart of Saul seeking a medium about the battle was foolish. You understand me? And if you're meddling with the occult and things like that and you think it's innocent and you get movies and stuff like that that's involved in that... I would warn you. Notice thirdly, verse 15 through 25, the depraved heart of Saul, judged by God in the battle. 15 through 19, prophetic oracle from Samuel to Saul is given. And 15, the reproof of Saul by Samuel. Listen carefully. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? To bring me up refers from Sheol, to bring him up from the netherworld of the departed spirits without distinguishing the godly from the ungodly. In the Old Testament, everybody went to Sheol, the wicked and the good. No distinction was made as to their separation. It's not till Luke 16 when Jesus gives us the story of the rich man and Lazarus do we understand that the place of comfort was the paradise, the bosom of Abraham, the place of comfort, and the other place, a place of torment, Okay? But it existed, but we knew nothing about it. Now look at 16. The self-centered response was threefold. His emotional state first. And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. His spiritual state comes next. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophet nor by dream. This was 
again his fault. Progressively. And then we get his mental state. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. But Samuel's not God. He's the prophet of God. We always get our eyes on men. I'm just here to give you the word of God. You understand? You get your eyes on the Lord. On no one else. Look at 16. The rebuke of Saul by Samuel is given. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord Yahweh has departed from you, listen, and has become your enemy? Underline that. A man that was filled by God, given a new heart, used by God. Now God is his enemy. One step at a time, ladies and gentlemen. And then second, for not accepting what God had declared. And the Lord Yahweh has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord Yahweh has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Saul didn't want to acknowledge that. He didn't want to let go of it. He's fighting for something that's not his. Rebellion. And then thirdly, for his disobedience to God, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord Yahweh, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord Yahweh has done this thing to you this day. His rebellion had caught up with him. Listen to me. 1 Samuel 15, 22. It says, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Whoa. And stubbornness as idolatry. This is Saul. Listen to me. Saul is here to warn you in Scripture. Look at 19. The revelation to Saul by Samuel comes. This is the greater proof that it was Samuel. And God only knows the future as he declares this. The outcome of the battle is given in verse 19. First, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. No demon could say this. This is declaring the future. Okay? Abishai wanted to kill Saul. You remember? When he snuck into the camp and took the water and the spear of Saul in the, previous, in the, the last two chapters. And David says, don't touch God's anointed. And listen to what David said there in 1 Samuel 26, 10. He said this, as the Lord lives, the Lord Yahweh shall strike him. Talking about Saul. Or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. Whoa. David understood that, that God was going to judge him. This was God's judgment on Saul. In 1 Chronicles 10, 13, it says this, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord Yahweh, because he did not keep the words of the Lord Yahweh. Listen. And because also he consulted a medium for guidance. It's recorded for us. It's emphasized. Now look at 19 still. The death of Saul and his sons in the battle now is given. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And so people say, yeah, you see, it's not now. now Saul was saved. He's going to be with, with, with Samuel. Samuel is in Sheol. He's not making the distinction on the, on the separation. Jonathan and his two brothers, without doubt, are in the place of comfort. Died in faith, godly men. But Saul? Saul is not. He cannot be in heaven. This whole chapter condemns him. The record condemns him. Look at 19 still. The defeat of the Israeli army is given. The Lord Yahweh will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Leaders are responsible for the ills that they will bring on people and the nation. 
Woe to any president, woe to any dictator, woe to any ambassador, anybody who's in authority over people. God will hold them responsible. Now look at 20 through 25. The results of the prophetic oracle of Samuel on Saul is given. In 20, Saul was devastated hearing the prophecy by the man of God. Emotionally, as he became distraught, immediately Saul fell full, full length to the ground. The end of the full length, me, he's so tall, he was a head taller than anybody else, right? Now he's, he's, he's totally at the lowest point. Here he is on his face on the ground, dreadfully afraid, hearing the words, this is the position he should have taken and stayed at all along. But he was taller, handsome, proud, self-sufficient. If Saul would have taken this position, true humility and repentance, this would not have happened. Secondly, physically he was exhausted and there was no strength in him. For he had eaten no food all day or all night. The fearful anxiety, the journey behind the enemy lines and his fatal heart attack, if you will, the shock of the news crushed him. And so in verse 21 through 23, Saul was assisted by the woman of mediums. This is bad fellowship, ladies and gentlemen. The only help Saul had was from a witch of the occult, not God. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. And then the witch of Endor offered Saul his last meal before death. Verse 22. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant. Let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way to hell. The end of Saul's life is marked by obeying and being in fellowship with the servants of the occult. What a sad epitaph. His epitaph is in the previous chapter. He told David, I have played the fool. He's rejecting God, embracing the witch. Verse 23, but he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servant, together with the woman, urged him and they heeded his voice. He heeded their voice and he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now look at 24 and 25. Saul was nourished by the woman of mediums. The witch of Ender was moved with compassion. Don't miss this. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. She appeared to be more compassionate than God or Samuel, but she was a daughter of Satan, an enemy of God. Be careful how you judge things. You've got to know the source of individuals, okay? Satan does a lot of good things. He provides a lot of stuff for people. Look at 25. The witch of Endor served them their last meal on the earth. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose, and they went away that night. Saul left with no hope. Saul left knowing the judgment of God, listen, had finally caught up with him. People push it. They press the boundaries. They think they're cool. They think they're in control. And then it comes to be too late. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But knowing this, that the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, 
slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, and from such people turn away. Now, if you don't see this description of these last days and where we're living today, people pay money to inquire about their future soulmates, their financial success. The occult is now being embraced as something nice, something beneficial, but it's nothing new. It's been growing and growing. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, it's going to increase, leading right into the Antichrist. It began with Lucifer's rebellion in heaven. It was presented to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It began and developed the cults and occults in the Tower of Babel. It was the source of opposition to Moses in Egypt. Israel was warned about entering the land, not practicing those things. I gave you Deuteronomy 18. Many of the kings practiced the occult in the division of the kingdom, north and south. We see demon possession in the Gospels. We see demons knew exactly who Jesus was, the Son of God. We see through the book of Acts that we have the prophet Bar-Jesus, the false prophet. We have Elimus the sorcerer. At Philippi, Paul cast out the demon from the young lady that was doing soothsaying, bringing great gain to her masters. Demons possess bodies like the demoniac at Gadara, but not Christians. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Greater is he that you knew he is in the world, First John 4, 4. The rule of the Antichrist will be demon-directed. He will be possessed directly by Satan. Listen to Revelation 9, 20, and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of their works or their hands, that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, and can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual morality, and their thefts. Know how it all tied together. Revelation 16, 14. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth of the whole world to gather them to the battle that great day of God Almighty, the battle of Armageddon. 1 John 2, 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. In first, Second Peter 2, 1 and 2. But there was also false prophets among the people. There will also be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord Jesus who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their pernicious ways. Many will follow their pernicious ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The emergent church blasphemes the Bible, blasphemes Jesus Christ. His life is only an example, they say. No, it isn't. He died for my sins. Now, the Spirit expressly says, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines are being taught to people who are demon-possessed, 1 Timothy 4.1. We are in a spiritual warfare, ladies and gentlemen, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of doctrines of this world, against the spiritual wickedness that are on high, Ephesians 6.12 says. We are to prove all things. Hold on to that which is good. Hold fast to it, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. And we are to sanctify the Lord God in our heart. And give an answer to every person who asks for the reason and hope that lies in it with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15. The depraved heart of Saul, judged by God in the battle, was eternally fatal. And so here's the record of Saul having no guidance from God, going into the battle, and he seeks a witch of the occult. The demoralized heart of Saul before the battle was his own fault. The desperate heart of Saul seeking a medium about the battle was foolish. And the depraved heart of Saul judged by God in the battle 
was eternally fatal. Pastor Xavier Reese, summarizing the harsh lessons learned by Saul in his misguided effort to ease his fears, only managing to exacerbate them without the guiding of the Lord. Now today's message titled, Saul and the Witch of Endor, is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, Saul and the Witch of Endor. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 